Welcome to episode 33 of the PharmExec podcast. I'm Kristen Harm, associate editor of PharmExec magazine and your podcast host. PharmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. So this week, Lisa Henderson and I speak with Jigar Raythatha, who's the CEO of Constellation Pharma. He talks about his roles, the importance of having a plan B in biotech, creating a translationally enabled company, and also how he leads his team at Constellation. He's got some great insights, and we're really excited to play his interview for you. So let's take a really quick break, and then we'll play the interview. Have you ever wanted to submit an article to PharmExec? PharmExec publishes articles about strategy and tactics in the areas of enterprise management, product development and management, global marketing and advertising, regulatory affairs, sales management, customer communication tools, business, legal, and financial issues, trends, and the industry's relation with the healthcare delivery system. We're especially eager to publish articles that document proven innovations with specific reference to pharmaceutical companies and products. Some of our most successful contributed pieces have been based on original research conducted by companies. And of course, we're always looking for analyses of trends and issues in pharma. So if you're interested in submitting an article, visit pharmaexec.com today. Hey everyone. Today, Lisa Henderson, our editorial director, and I will be interviewing Jigar Raythatha, CEO of Constellation Pharmaceutical, based in Cambridge. Thanks for joining us today, Jigar. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So, Jigar, can you describe your background and how you got to be involved in biotech? Yeah, so uh, I joined biotech uh, back in the late 1990s, um, and it was uh, really, uh, almost my first job out of college. I did a brief, a brief stint in the uh, management consulting world for less than a year, but I wanted to pick up on my scientific training in college and find a way to merge it with a, uh, a burgeoning interest in the business world. And I was lucky enough to uh, join uh, a fantastic company um, that called Biogen uh, here up here in the Boston area. Um, and it was a, a magical moment in the uh, in the in the kind of uh, history of Biogen, where there was uh, so much going on. We we had recently launched our first uh, product, um, and that was Avinex uh, for multiple sclerosis. Um, the company was global, uh, had, had operations in the U.S., Europe, um, and was fully integrated, um, and, and had a, a really kind of research, development, um, uh, manufacturing, and commercial. Uh, you know, all part of it, um, and it was there was so much going on that it was very easy to uh, get involved with some pretty interesting things. There were clearly not enough people to do the work, so even even as a young person, uh, I was able to get involved in some pretty pretty uh, fantastic opportunities. And actually, I reflect on that. And when there's uh, you know folks that are that are trying to figure out kind of career moves, especially younger folks, um, you know, try to I try to reflect on that and think about companies where where they're going through that major dynamic change um, from, a, you know, a smallish company to a biggish company. Um, and that's a great time to, uh, to be early in your, career, in your career in those types of companies. Um, so uh, I, I got my first, uh, kind of my feet wet in biotech, uh, working, working at Biogen, 
you know, doing a whole host of different things, starting out uh, in the um, uh, kind of commercial new product planning uh, types of roles, um, but was easily able to move around into doing more corporate strategy, business development, um, and even program leadership, which which I think is a, a very important uh, an important uh, step in uh, learning how to uh, move programs through development and uh, really cherish that opportunity. When you first joined Constellation, you were in business development and the company was very involved in its partnering with Genentech for its epigenetics platform. And then you left to work with Third Rock and founded Jounce Therapeutics and came back as CEO of Constellation after the Genentech plan didn't work out. So can you talk a little bit about that for us? Yeah. So, um, you know, um, I guess uh, you know, the Constellation, maybe I'll kind of go back to the beginning of Constellation. Um, you know, it was built by um, a couple of different venture capital groups, um, the uh, Third Rock Ventures locally here in Boston, also the Column Group on the West Coast, and Venrock uh, in New York. Um, and they, they put together a very big, broad concept around uh, making novel, novel um, uh, drug candidates uh, against uh, targets in the epigenetic space. And back then in, the two, in 2008, you know, that was a pretty novel idea. You know, these targets were, you know, not explored at all. Uh, we didn't know anything about their biology uh, from an industrial standpoint. Um, and certainly whether or not we can make uh, small molecule drugs against them. Um, but that's what we set out to build, and it was, um, you know, we learned some things in the first couple of years, but we started to get some, some really strong traction um, in kind of years three and four. Um, and that led to, um, you know, a lot of uh, larger companies were interested in what we were doing as a result of that, um, and we had a very active competitive negotiation process around putting a, a strategic partnership in place about some of the things that we were doing, uh, but a very compelling um, uh, deal came together with Genentech, who, who at the time had prioritized two areas of, of, of science for their future of oncology uh, for the pipeline. One was immuno-oncology, which they're very famous for today, uh, as well as epigenetics. And, you know, they hadn't, they hadn't really done a lot internally in epigenetics, and they had brought in some key leadership um, and they wanted to really work externally to, to build that capability further. And so it was a great deal. Genentech capitalized the company with almost $100 million, um, and they also brought 50 scientists to the table. We brought 50 scientists to the table, and we really went to town trying to discover and validate new targets. Um, but, but also a, a major feature of that was that we were very um, – uh, we, we were very uh, – happy with our lead programs that we had they had created um, that were advancing into the clinic at some point in the near future um, at that time and didn't want to necessarily give those up. And the way we made all that work was by putting a option to acquire into place. So we worked out a deal that was fully baked that Genentech could uh, acquire the company based on a trigger that wasn't going to happen for a few years. Um, so, so with that, I, I did uh, uh, kind of scale back my involvement in Constellation. I went to a part-time employee, worked as a as a part-time employee with Third Rock as well to build uh, a new company. Um, and I guess in, in the meantime, uh, I guess the, I think you can probably in retrospect call it a mistake. You know, Constellation was very much focused on delivering on that option for Genentech to acquire it um, and really had, uh, you know, developed the company in a way to uh, kind of hand over the reins. Um, and, you know, I guess, you know, kind of fast-forwarding things, Genentech, their, their strategy shifted, and, and they went in a different direction, and they didn't acquire the company. And so that left the company 
with uh, um, really having to rethink how it was going to get there on its own. And, and just um, really with all the signs and the signals in place where Genentech would, would exercise that option, you know, unfortunately, uh, kind of lesson learned, the company didn't have a plan B. Um, and so that, that then led to a little brief period um, that, that extended for, you know, about a year, uh, a little bit more than a year for the company to really find its footing from a kind of how do we work out the right plan and how do we, how do we get the right team in place to execute on a new plan. Uh, and that's really what I came back uh, to help, uh, help, help kind of craft. Do you think that it's important that all biotechs have a plan B? Like, how can you focus on more than one strategy when you're firing on all cylinders with few numbers of people and limited funding? Yeah, I think that that's a really, really important insight in terms of uh, you know how do you how do you do it all, and that's actually a theme that we we face all the time. You know, how, how do you actually deliver on the on the huge uh, plethora and panoply of uh, items that you have to deliver on? Um, and but I do really think it's important to to contingency plan, um, and not necessarily to the same kind of level of planning in each in each scenario. But but really kind of thinking through, um, you, you know, what what do you do if your key assumptions don't plan, pan out, and to, to be able to have uh, the ability to uh, to to kind of uh, you know move into a new direction, um, you know, without without having to completely reinvent the wheel, I think is quite important. And, and part of that is really communication, um, making sure that all the key stakeholders are on the same page um, so that, you know, part, part of the hardest part about making a plan sometimes is making sure that there's alignment. Um, so, so working through, you know, key stakeholders, whether it's board, management team, key people in the company, um, uh, to make sure that everyone kind of recognizes that, you know, he, here we're converging on a, on a major decision point, um, and what happens if our assumptions change, and, how do, and do we all agree that if they change, you know, here, here's how they could possibly be different, um, and let's agree on how we would all think about it in those scenarios, um, and then be able to quickly go and, and kind of then flesh out what that new plan looks like. Um, and that's, that's why I think, to, you know, I think that we didn't have that in place necessarily um, at that time. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to tackle, but like you said, when you came back then, you had a lot to focus on when you came back as CEO of Constellation. So I was intrigued when you told Kristen and I previously um, that you wanted to refocus the company and make it transact, I'm sorry, translationally enabled. And so you stop programs that, and you have stopped programs that you felt didn't have that quality. So I was wondering if you could describe what translation, translationally, and even though I can't even say the word, <laughs> if you could describe what it means, that would be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> translationally enabled is a mouthful sometimes, yeah. Um, so uh, really what it means is how do you figure out which patients have the best chance to uh, benefit from from the drug that you're developing and the biology that you're modulating with that drug. Um, and sometimes that is um, uh, a little bit more readily apparent, specifically in like genetically defined diseases where you can identify a specific mutation that drives that, that specific disease and there's one gene that's responsible for it. And, you know, that is then becomes the way, having that gene mutation is the way to define the disease and you know that those patients are most likely to have a benefit if you have a drug that targets that mutation. Um, 
for for most diseases though there's not just one mutation there's probably many different gene mutations and maybe the disease is actually you know a conglomerate of many different diseases um and you know how do you then figure out from this um you know more complicated way to define what a patient has and what their disease is to so which one subsets of those will respond most most beneficially um and so you know we look at a lot of uh um you know biomarkers in patients that tend to uh, group patients together in different categories, but it takes a lot of an effort to, uh, to kind of parse all that apart. And, and, and what we decided to do here at Constellation is to put that at the front end of what we do. Um, and, if, and if for some reason, even if there are, uh, you know, if we can't do it, if we can't figure out, you know, we, we've identified a biomarker that allows us to figure out who these patients are, even if we have a great, a great drug candidate against a specific target, it's going to be too hard to develop in, the, in, in clinical trials. And we may not be able to define a real true difference of um, the impact because we have the wrong patients in the study. So translationally enabled really comes down to doing the work to identify what those biomarkers are um, and to have that ready in, in, in hand when you first put the molecules in clinical testing. So... You worked with Third Rock and the other um, investors previously, but and you've gone back and forth. So can you tell us how being an investor has helped you as a CEO, and do you think there's ever a conflict between you as a CEO and you being an investor, and maybe what kinds of conversations you have to work through any difficult times? Yeah. Yeah, actually, it wasn't kind of my first stint as an investor. I think uh, before, in between working at Biogen and working at Constellation, I spent four years um, doing, uh, you know, back then we didn't call it this, but today we call it crossover investing, um, kind of looking at later later stage private companies and, and, and smaller public companies. Um, and I worked as an, kind of on the investor side to identify those types of opportunities uh, from the investing side that that could, uh, could build the next generation of companies. Um, and so I had some experience with it before I came to Constellation and then have had a really close working relationship with the guys at Third Rock Ventures over the years as well. As well. Um, I, I think having that background is, is quite helpful. Um, it gives you a bit of uh, the mindset about, you know, what's important to an investor, how they think about it. Um, you know, there's there's actually a lot of companies out there that they can focus on, and, you know, why should they focus on yours? Um, uh, you know, how should, what, what ends up becoming a compelling investment story versus a compelling company building story sometimes is aligned, but sometimes is not aligned, and how to then tell the story in a way that it resonates with folks. And so having that, that background, you know, I found to be quite helpful. Um, you know, to your question about, you know, is there ever a conflict I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's largely, there's largely, um, you know, good, good, good overlap between how we, how us and our investors think about things. Um, where, where there does sometimes conflict does emerge, uh, and it's not true conflict in the sense that, you know, we're adversaries or anything like that, but just, uh, it's just a difference of time scale in terms of, of, uh, when, uh, you know, when we can expect things to change. Um, and that ends up becoming, uh, a source of, of stress sometimes because I think in the investor world sometimes there's again many different opportunities that they can look at in terms of putting their money behind and they'd like to have the shortest window possible in terms of when they can achieve a return and sometimes when you're building a company 
And certainly developing a drug, it takes many years. And so how do you bring those two things together in a, in a, in a way that, you know, keeps uh, investors interested on a regular basis? Uh, can sometimes lead to, um, you know, stress maybe instead of maybe more, less, more stressful instead of less, less about conflict. Um, but but that, that's where, that's where uh, you know, sometimes the paths tend to diverge between what an investor needs and what a company needs to do. Yes, it sounds counterintuitive a little bit, you know, if you want that quick turnaround, but drug development's definitely not a fast-track type endeavor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a, yeah sometimes there's, there's so many different things that you can look at that, you know, instant gratification may be possible for, for an investor. Yeah. So let's talk about teams. Um, you had to change your team around at Constellation quite a bit to fit your new vision, as well as look forward to potential transition to commercial stages. So can you share how you think about scaling teams, how you did scale your teams, the challenges, and your goals? Yeah. So, um, you know, the good news, uh, you know, Constellation, we, we had, um, and we still have, you know, a, I would call a, an elite drug discovery team. Um, you, know, you know, these folks really know how, to identify and create, um, you know, small molecule uh, product candidates that, that really nicely interact with the targets that we're focused on. Um, and so, you know, I didn't really feel like I needed to make uh, a, a ton of changes on, on the drug discovery side of things. Um, on the biology kind of uh, target discovery, you know, we, we had a shift in our mindset a bit about, you know, choosing to work on targets that we felt, again, were translationally enabled, and so that we felt had a much uh, stronger path through the clinic and the ability to eventually uh, be able to bring them to uh, to uh, registration and commercialization. And we think about that really at the front end in the earliest days now. And so there was a bit of uh, work that we've done to reconfigure that early early biology translational part of the company, and we've really built out that effort uh, significantly, including, you know, for the first time hiring dedicated leaders, you know, for biology and translational. Um, and then, but probably the most significant changes that we've made have been on the development team, um, where we recruited a, a new chief medical officer. Um, and really when I got here, we didn't really have much of a development team. We had a couple of people, um, and there were a couple of trials ongoing. Um, certainly not anywhere near what we needed to execute on what we were setting out to do. Um, so so uh, one of the things that we, we did there was really build out the right, the right scale of organization to, to achieve that. Um, we also, at the same time, um, you know, dropped a, uh, uh, an anchor around a vision that we all bought into, and that was that we wanted to uh, launch a drug, uh, our first drug, in, in five years. Um, and we also wanted to have a pipeline behind that, and, and uh, everyone bought into that, and um, and that that then helped define the scope and the type of experience we would then need. Um, so we hired a, a great chief medical officer, and and a you know a really broad team um, to uh, to support the uh, the efforts of that development team. It's now probably instead of a couple of people, it's more like fifteen to twenty people, um, and continuing to grow. Um, but, but the other piece that we've been very focused on is to uh, continue to bring in experience, not just to help us execute on what we're doing now, but if we're, if we're successful, then what do we need to be thinking about as the next step? And so I've been really laser focused on bringing in people, people that have 
um, have had some experience before taking drugs all the way through um, the development process, filing them for registration, and they've seen you know, all the different pitfalls that you can possibly imagine, and so, so that they can be that flashlight for us as we're you know, venturing on that path. And we've done that um, at junior levels and senior levels, um, and even on the board. We've tried to recruit people onto the board that, that bring that mindset, and, and that's kind of been a very deliberate approach on our part um, in, in building our leadership team. So I understand the Cambridge market is pretty competitive. So how do you make sure the constellation stands out? Yes, it is a, the 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 labor market is extremely competitive. Um and you know, um it just takes uh, a lot of effort sometimes to um, to figure out ways to, to make sure people know what you're doing. Um, we've engaged in uh, a lot of different ways to brand ourselves as a as an employer that um, that would be uh, would create a very you know uh, pleasant place to work. Um, I'm not sure if you if you've looked at our our social media at all um, um, in LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook. We've got a very strong presence. And, and actually, uh, the, the types of posts that you, um, that you see there, they're, they're very deliberately um, uh, designed to uh, showcase the culture of the company. Um, and, and really, we have a, a very um, a fun-loving culture for sure, and, and so we want, to, we want to exhibit that. We also have a very family-friendly culture, and we try to exhibit that as well. Um, you know, certainly, we, 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 we certain from our salary negotiations and all that, we, we uh, pay market-appropriate rates to people, and that's a big part of what we do. Uh, but also, I think that as people come and interview here and they meet our team here, they get a sense, really, of the type of people we are. Um, and I think our culture, uh, specific around our kind of um, fun-loving nature and also our, uh, our family focus, um, really shines through. Um, and that's, I know that's had uh, an impact in helping us recruit at least a, a handful of key people in the company. Yeah, your social media, your LinkedIn is very, it's, it looks fun, it looks down to earth, you know, it looks, looks like a fun company. I would definitely work there after seeing your LinkedIn. Well, please Good do please your resume. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you did also share with Chris <laughs> and I earlier, you know, about this work-life balance because family is very important to you. You have two elementary um, aged children and so I just want to explain or if you could explain to the audience how you prioritize and balance your work life and then how that impacts your company culture. Yeah, yes, I think it does. It does um, really emanate from role modeling it. I think if, if I didn't do it, it becomes very difficult for people to, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard for someone to ask permission, hey, my, my kid has a um, a soccer game or a concert. Uh, we've got this big deliverable, but I need to figure out I can't be here. Um, that's a very hard thing and scary thing sometimes to, to say to your your boss. But if your yeah. but if your but if your supervisor is doing it, um, it becomes a little bit easier. Um, and uh, you know we we all have very hectic lives. No one works. No one here works a forty hour work week. Um, and there's a whole layer of us outside of work. That's probably a lot more complicated than ourselves within work, and uh, and it, but but has a big impact on on how we can perform our jobs. And so if we can find a way to make that all a little bit easier, 
I think you end up having a happier employee and you have a happier workplace. Um, you know, we still have a lot of demands on our employees. They still work really, really hard, but we're very flexible about when and where they can do that work. Um, we have got at least four, five, six people maybe that don't even live in the Boston area and they commute back and forth. We have one person that commutes from Montreal, another person that computes, commutes from Tampa, um, and, and we've kind of set up ways to make that work. And, you know, certainly, you know, if, uh, if you have to be at an important event for your kid, and, you know, my kids are young, so even, even things that are that's some, somewhat more mundane are very important to them, you know, you should be there for that. Um, and, you know, we can find other ways. You can call into a meeting. You can, you know, everyone's got the ability to work pretty flexibly mobily. And so we try to enable that and be accepting of that um, and understanding of that. Um, and that and that really helps. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a big commute from Tampa or Montreal. But, <laughs> yeah, having that flexibility, you're right, is is key. Yeah. And, and you're right. Everybody works, and I'm sure... You, obviously, you guys are working hard, so it's not um, all fun and games, but you make good points about the family and being there for them. So yeah. I just want to thank you very much for sharing your story today, Jigger. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. And now it's time for this week's Leadership Tips from Pharma Execs. Hi, my name is Jigar Raithatha, CEO of Constellation Pharmaceuticals, and, and my best leadership tip is to is to not be afraid to say what you think, and and not and not be afraid of having people challenge what you think, um, and really having the best of both of those worlds together allows you to get to the right to the right answer. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's PharmExec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the PharmExec staff is working on. Remember that you can always find us on the web at PharmExec.com, on Twitter at PharmExec, on Instagram at PharmExecutive, and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of PharmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email Editorial Director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mmhgroup.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mmhgroup.com.